Welcome to the Elevate podcast. My name is Sarah Hopkins. And I'm Amanda Noga, and these are conversations to elevate your health, relationships, and soul. Hello, hello, and welcome back. And today we are going to talk about the first trimester. So obviously in this capsule season, we're running through all of the different phases from conception through to birth and beyond. And so this is phase two, I suppose, which is the first trimester. So the first 12 weeks of pregnancy. In my mind, certainly, these weeks are the most important weeks of the entire pregnancy. It's really important for us to talk about all of the reasons why these first 12 weeks are so important and to really sort of put that into context and talk about what that means for the remainder of the pregnancy and what that means if you're thinking about conception and all of the great things that we can do to sort of make sure that the first 12 weeks are as painless and as healthy as possible. Do you want to... those good building blocks. Yeah, exactly. Do you want to share... Since you're actually with child in your belly right now, do you want to share from a recent perspective what the first 12 weeks were like for you, Mandy? Yeah, well, I guess like lots of people, my first uh, indicators that I was actually pregnant were... Well, actually, I kind of knew before I knew, didn't I? Hmm. I remember messaging you. I was in Berlin at the time, so by the time conception had happened, we had packed up Bali life and gone on tour to Europe and it was in those weeks before I'd even missed a period but I messaged you saying I've got an inkling that I'm prego and the first kind of funny thing that I noticed was my gums started bleeding when I was brushing my teeth Mm. and I was like hmm interesting (laughs) anyway I'm sure like many other women I peed on a stick on a uh German pregnancy test that I wasn't 100% sure I was doing correctly but um yeah lo and behold there were two positive lines and pretty soon after that it was pretty obvious that I was for sure pregnant and I was you know from one day to the next I was you know loving a coffee and then the next day I was like get that away from me you know all the things starting to make me feel sick and nauseous and smells and I guess for me it wasn't ideal being on tour in Europe during those first 12 weeks it wasn't as I said the plan necessarily but yeah you know being on lots and lots of planes and trains and long road trips was not how I would ideally plan things Aside from, you know, the radiation and all the craziness that comes with flying, I really just wanted to be on the ground. And mm. all of the motion, like literal being being in, you know, moving vehicles all the time, every second or third day, changing cities, it was just making me feel so much more sick and tired than what I was already feeling. And it's also that funny time where, you know, for me I wasn't around friends or family and so I was rocking up every other day to you know new people hosting me to teach at their yoga studio and not really wanting to tell them that oh I'm nearly pregnant that's why I'm acting so (laughs) weird and it's sort of a funny thing because yeah I didn't really feel comfortable telling people that I especially people I didn't really know 
but that was probably the time where I could have done with the most understanding and support and yeah understanding from those people that I was staying with (laughs) like (laughs) why the food that they just made me for dinner was actually making me feel so sick (laughs) I mean it wasn't great and why you're sleepy so Mm -hmm. sleepy and so lethargic so the first 12 weeks so we're talking about from conception which we talked about in the last episode to after that obviously the embryo is implanting and then it's eventually feeding I can't remember how many weeks maybe a couple of weeks it starts to feed from the placenta the placenta is developing but the first 12 weeks are a time of such rapid growth for the baby like the baby is nearly entirely built by the 12 week juncture that's why we can have a 12 week scan and really get the lay of the land in terms of the health outcomes of the baby you know not entirely but like the heart has four chambers the lungs are developed, the skeletal system is developed, the face is developed, the organ, the sexual organs are developed. Like there's so much that happens. So it's not surprising that our bodies are, we're sort of at, at the mercy of our physiology, particularly in those first 12 weeks, so much happens and we feel so tired because the baby is doing so much growing during that period and we feel so sick and there are so many symptoms that feel overwhelming and debilitating and strange during those first 12 weeks and one is because it's the first time or you know we're experiencing pregnancy it might not be the first time we're experiencing pregnancy but it's a change in our physiology obviously you're building a new organ first of all exactly the placenta yeah and then you're building another entire human. human like i mean come on and like i said nearly and i've said this before in the fertility episode which we'll link to the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle if the baby is a jigsaw puzzle the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle are mostly put together by the time you get to 12 weeks so there's so much going on and you feel that rapid change happening within you in terms of the ayurvedic lens it's prime vata time yeah there's so much movement and change happening but it's kind of confusing as well because you can't see it externally yet and yes because you're not still kind of an unknown of like is this pregnancy going to come to fruition and all of those sort of unknowns are up in the air at that point yes so and it's also like i suppose to hark back to what you were just saying in terms of ayurvedic perspectives you know i think pregnancy predominantly is a vata state which is sort of very sensitive and you know the first 12 weeks are the most the first 12 weeks and the last trimester as well but let's focus on the first because that's what we're talking about today it's a it's a time of of high sensitivity you know we are more vulnerable and the baby is more vulnerable and we need to avoid doing what you did Mandy Mm -hmm. um, because we really do need to ground and we need to nurture and we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute but I wanted to share a little bit here about my first trimester um, because I suppose it, it has shades of similarity and obviously vast differences to yours. But, and there was, you know, various things that happened in that first trimester, which I'll talk about when I talk about food, like the crippling nausea that I suffered with. Um, but the thing that I suppose came as such a shock to me was that I suffered with perinatal depression. 
So, and this hit me, it sort of probably hit me at about, oh, it's been a while since I've reflected on this, but probably week, probably around the same time as the nausea, so probably week eight. And it sort of, it went through to the, into the second trimester, a little bit like my nausea. And I think why it was so shocking was because I had longed for a baby for so long. It was such a, such a deeply held, strong, overwhelming desire of mine. When I conceived, I, I mean, in hindsight, this is ridiculous, but I just sort of thought that that was the magical salve balm to all of my problems. And when I, and obviously, you know, what people need to know is that perinatal depression is, is it perinatal? Am I using the right word there? Like prenatal, obviously perinatal depression is very common because of the hormonal surges and changes that are occurring. But I was just so shocked that I was pregnant, but that I was feeling really not excited. No. And I, I suppose part of the reason for that was also because I hadn't been in a relationship with my partner for very long. And I, I think if I reflect on it now, in hindsight, I didn't expect to conceive so quickly. Neither of us did. We got a really rude shock when, you know, straight away we conceived. So I just was like, I don't even, the, the reality of it, I'm sure the hormones were compounded by the fact that I'd only been with my partner for six months. I was looking at him going, I don't even like know what you're like and now I'm stuck with you forever because you're going to be the father of my child like who are you what have I done so and it was intense I I felt I really struggled I felt low I felt depressed I felt like I wasn't sure if I wanted to be with Iggy anymore I wasn't sure I felt I perhaps made the wrong decision that I'd rushed into something you know did I really want to have this baby obviously it wasn't at any level that I would have enacted any of those in a, in a negative way but I, I had to do I, I sat in therapy for most of my pregnancy because I needed to work through those emotions and work through that sort of surprising sort of physiological and psychological shift that occurred in me which was the exact polar opposite to what I expected to happen yeah I think that can be pretty conflicting for a lot of women because yeah you do expect to feel really excited and happy especially if you've been trying to conceive and wanting to conceive and then suddenly you're overwhelmed with just feeling sick and nauseous and all of those I guess sort of symptoms that you described having an awareness of the Ayurvedic stuff of knowing that all of those feelings are vata are all vata that yeah. feeling of insecurity and uncertainty and maybe i've made a mistake and kind of flip-flopping around in your mind just knowing that okay this is excess vata going on i can see it through this lens i feel like that for, at least for me that was a huge comfort because i as well was super anxious in the first trimester and worried kind of driving myself crazy that I was going to have a miscarriage and just feeling really really unsettled in that that was how my anxiety and vata manifested that was where totally. my train of thought went whereas yours was was what have I done like with this crazy baby daddy but I also had that and you know I think that that's very common as well is that the thing about the first trimester is that like you've already said it's 
very it's a, firstly it's a secret because culturally we've made it so which is taboo uh, which is yeah it's taboo well it's only taboo because we can't share something that could end prematurely because how we can't possibly share something bad Mm -hmm. you know with the world it can only be we can only share something that's going to end in a baby so there's secrecy around it and it's not visible and we can't feel the baby inside so it's really hard it's hard to connect with it but I mean, this isn't for everybody, but for, for a lot of people, all you get is shitty physiological symptoms. Like there's nothing, there's, there's not much positive stuff in the first trimester except for the concept of excitement. Yes. And that can be dulled down by all of the things that you've spoken about. So, exactly. So the first trimester can be a really challenging time. And I think, you know, that it's important to acknowledge that and for people to, to think about that and to know that because that might mitigate the risk of perinatal depression and and the risk of just a general feeling of flatness throughout that first trimester and what that does to us in terms of our own self-talk. Yeah, and I think opening up the conversation with women that you trust in that first trimester, that people that you feel comfortable with and knowing that they can hold hold you and hold space for you if, you know, the pregnancy didn't come to fruition, sharing the fact that you are pregnant is really really helpful Mm. I mean I think I told you and a couple of other people I didn't share it like quote unquote publicly for a while and I didn't share it with like relative strangers but having a few people that knew that were really close to me that I trusted was really helpful because when all those anxieties were coming up on a day-to-day basis I could tell you and Mm. you having that reassurance was really really helpful at that time and I think Obviously, if you've got really close friends that haven't had kids, it's fine to share it with them, but it's good to have some mums because I remember you asking me questions and me sort of allaying some of your fears around things. You were like, well, what about this? Like, And it was like, no, 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 it's totally fine. I remember that that happened to me. And it's good to have people that you trust that have lived experience of it that can help to allay those fears. And any of my clients, I mean... I've joked. Some of my clients have actually sent me their pregnancy like pee stick results before they even told their husband. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, thanks for that. <laughs> now you need to tell your husband. But you know, I think for me, some of my clients, I'm one of the only people that they tell. And obviously, you know, if for some unfortunate reason the pregnancy doesn't continue on, at least they have had that person that can be that assistance and comfort to them. And I think that that's important. So I think we should slide into some of the things that, you know, we recommend and that we have implemented in our own lives and our own practices around the first trimester. And Mm -hmm. do you want to share about the nutrition food side first? Yes. So again, linking back to the fertility episodes, because they're really important, you know, Amanda and I both agree that it's a one to two year pre-preparation period to actually make sure that we have the nutrients downloaded that we need so that once the baby starts or the embryo starts feeding from the placenta, it's downloading, you know, nutrient stores rather than drawing down on on sort of low levels of nutrients from the food that you're eating at the time. So I call that, you know, creating the healthy garden bed of fertility and there's, you know, over an hour's worth of content there for you to listen to and I think that's really important. 
but I just wanted to touch on and reiterate that the baby is being, the jigsaw puzzle is being formed in those first 12 weeks. And, you know, I just like to emphasize this as hard and as regularly as possible because the first trimester is a time when food will be a challenge and mm. where the cravings will come in. But you have to, and I suppose... And the aversion to food. And the aversion to food. But I suppose this is where if you've laid down the garden bed, it doesn't matter as much to a degree, and we'll come back to that in a minute. But if you've done the prep work, then you have those nutrient stores there, all of the fat-soluble vitamins that you need, like A, D, E, K2, which are all so, so important for lung development, heart development, craniofacial development, bone integrity, plus um, glycine, collagen, all of those amino acids, plus folate which obviously everybody says to supplement with and we can maybe talk about that if we need to because you shouldn't supplement or you don't have to you know and other nutrients iron all of those things you know if you've downloaded those already then you know some of that block building stuff is being done in the background but if you haven't then you need to get on to eating that diet and you should continue to eat that diet in the first trimester so really focusing on nutrient density so your fertility and preconception diet is kind of the same as the first trimester diet in it a is. nutshell. It is. That I mean that's the diet that you should be eating throughout the entirety of your pregnancy. But here's the caveat. So at about week 8, which makes total sense in the context of well, I suppose it doesn't really it it makes sense in the context of women's symptoms. So at week 8, the embryo starts to grow very rapidly. So, and that is the time that most women start to, week eight to 10 is when they start to feel nauseous and they start to have more of those symptoms, morning sickness. And it's also when they start to crave carbs. The reason that we crave carbs is because the, the, the embryo or fetus, I think it's a fetus, starts to become a fetus at about that, that stage. It is, its requirement for, for glucose is super high. So it is like sending messages to the body, I need all of the glucose down here because I'm growing so fast. Like I said, the baby's fully bought, formed it's at 12 weeks pretty much. A lot of that work is happening, so it really needs that glucose. So it sends a message to the mama bear to go and find something sweet. Forage some yeah. carbs, so get me a donut Exactly. Right now, when I, so before I had RAF, I was very low carb and I was sort of, paleo slash primal so i was eating you know i was eating carbs but not many grains um sort of only sweet potato not even white potato i was pretty low carb and i you know just thought that i was going to eat that way and i'd done the you know garden bed stuff for like two years so loads of organ meats and loads of bone broth and all of that good stuff and um and you know loads of healthy proteins and fats and and lots of green leafy vegetables but um, I hit that eight week point and I remember that I was like, a boy was walking like across the road from me and he was drinking a Fanta. <laughs> and I just went, I need a Fanta. <laughs> and then for, throughout the whole of my pregnancy, I had like massive cravings for like lemonade, Fanta. Um, at that point I was craving sausage rolls, um, peanut
peanut butter and white bread toast. I remember you were like horrified that you and, were eating so much peanut butter toast. And I was so shocked and I tried, initially I tried to resist and just stick to like meat and veg, but I literally could not. I had to follow my car- my carb cravings and then my own research led me to understand that that was my body's way of telling me that it needed that you know carbohydrates are the most available source of glucose the body doesn't have to convert it it can convert protein through a process called gluconeogenesis you know it can convert anything it needs to into glucose but just give it some carbs and that's what it needs so i thankfully i actually you know just listened to my body and my diet dramatically changed from really high in protein and fat to really high in carbs and it's sort of never really swung back fully the other way but that was what my body needed and that was what also really quelled the nausea Mm -hmm. so I always 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 um, once my clients have conceived I always schedule our next session with them once they've conceived to be at about that eight week juncture so that I can go okay you're going to get carb cravings you're going to get orange juice cravings you're going to get frozen coke cravings you're going to get pizza cravings crispy cream cravings you need to honor those cravings but you need to honor them in a way that isn't that a healthy so, way there's yes. healthy carb choices and then there's exactly. crispy cream exactly so you know it doesn't mean go to domino's and eat the whole pizza it means you know find a gluten-free pizza you know one that's made with organic ingredients it means maintaining the integrity of the quality of the food but making sure that you're you know that the percentage of carbs that you're eating is up from say you know 30 percent if you're looking at macros which i'm sure you're not to you know 50 percent. so yeah that's really Basically important. trying to make the body's job as easy as possible to get that glucose to the baby yeah exactly and i i have written a blog post about this i'll i'll link that and recommend it at the end but so food needs to be nutrient dense but it also needs to be much higher in carbs and that is really really important for that first trimester it's so interesting though your body is incredibly intelligent like this is i guess one of the big lessons with pregnancy is about trusting your body and trusting the pregnancy and trusting the baby but It's just fascinating to me that your body will like crave things and reach for things that it knows it needs. Like when I was in Europe, I was craving Milo like crazy. And I was thinking, you know, as soon as I get back to Australia, I'm just going to get Milo and I'm just going to go for it. (laughs) And then I came back and I sort of like for a few weeks, I'd like be at the supermarket and looking at the Milo longingly and then for weeks I was like no 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 it's probably like it's full of crap I shouldn't I shouldn't have it but lo and behold it's full of freaking iron and B vitamins and B vitamins and folate and I was like oh my god this is everything that I need right now I'm just going to this that was another lesson of like it's it's not the best but like it's just fascinating that your body somehow there's like a cellular memory from childhood that like oh yeah that yeah. that thing is yeah. full of iron or whatever and I guess it was a lesson for me in not um, like analyzing things so much from my mind and really just trusting the body 
I mean, so many women, and I think this was my Fanta craving, but so many women crave oranges and orange yes, juice. Yes, I did too. And that's vitamin C. And that's about the iron absorption. It is, and it's also vitamin C. And again, like if we eat a nutrient-dense diet, particularly incorporating the organ meats, they're the highest source of vitamin C in Mother Nature. So, you know, and they're also the highest source of iron, and iron needs its synergistic partner, which is copper, and they're both contained in liver. So if we've eaten those things, then we're more likely to be able to deliver that to the baby. Isn't it funny, though? Like, you were craving Fanta, and I was craving, like, the worst kind of orange juice, like orange sea. I like, know. definitely was not interested in a nice cold press, like organic orange juice. I know. And I just saw the orange, like fizzy drink. But maybe some of that was glucose as well, like knowing that that was like a quick mm. fix of the glucose. But yeah, it's weird that we go for like the cheap, the, yeah. the like cheap shot sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, it's very interesting. Let's talk about iron for a second because it was during this first trimester that I had a blood test and I mean, to absolutely no surprise, I was low iron. I always, I have been low iron since I was probably about 12, I mean, probably earlier than that, but that's when I first started showing up as anemic they call it you know the doctor the gp of course was super concerned that i was anemic and pregnant and honestly i wasn't because first of all i knew that i would be because i always have been and of course especially during pregnancy all of my iron stores are going to be going to you know building this placenta and building this baby and i wasn't feeling actually the symptoms of really low iron that I have in the past of like waking up really tired and feeling dizzy and getting head spins and um, leg cramps and stuff like that which I have you know in the past recognized as all kind of signs that my iron was particularly low but thanks to you I had been on my trusty liver capsules for like probably the the 12 months prior so I knew that I had some good reserves going on yeah, the GP's recommendation was for me to have a iron transfusion and after that I'd be on a schedule of iron injections on I think like a monthly basis. But anyway, I didn't want to do any of that and so my main focus in those first um, 12 weeks was basically getting as much iron as I could from all different sources and making sure that I was pairing the food correctly with like vitamin C which optimizes the other thing that people don't know is that copper it's copper it's iron and copper together and the food that that delivers it in is the organ meat so again back to which is why it's a really good complete source of it's also got vitamin C which is folate right yeah it's got the highest level of folate the only other food that has high levels of folate is legumes like basically lentils Mm -hmm. so it's the superfood that has all those fertility nutrients that you need and it's also Um, there's a few things that block the absorption of iron so i was really particular about removing those things gluten and (laughs) caffeine as well yeah so i mean i'm not an expert so we won't talk about this anymore than just to sort of skim over it but sort of some of the reading that i'm doing at the moment is that some of those iron the way that we're reading iron at the moment is a flawed yes, interpretation. Yes, I completely agree. Um, 
most people probably have an overload of iron so we don't want to be adding any synthetic iron into our body we, we only want to be delivering iron in the way that nature has delivered it to us so we don't want to be doing the transfusion we don't want to be taking the synthetic iron tablets that they might suggest that you take we really want yeah. to make sure that we are giving it to our body in a complete whole food form where it will just utilize it so and this is sort of a tangent but you know also looking at the reasons why you might not be absorbing the iron that you're uh, eating exactly and you know the biggest one well there's sort of two and they relate to one another but one is really gut health and you know it's some sort of dysbiosis usually in the small intestine leaky gut in inverted commas to use an over quoted sort of term so what are you eating that's irritating the lining of your small intestine and affecting your body's capacity to absorb iron and then secondly what's happening in the large intestine like what pathogenic bacteria aka parasites might also be leaching some of the iron in your diet if you're not a vegan and you're not a vegetarian then you shouldn't be super low in iron so something is depleting your body of that iron mm -hmm. and what is it so that's worth looking at okay so should we talk about movement in the first trimester yeah so lots of women get into yoga when they're pregnant that's like a really <laughs> totally. common um a really common story lots of women start yoga when they're pregnant but actually in that first trimester you don't necessarily want to be doing especially a strong yoga practice and definitely not a hot yoga practice if anything your your movement practice whether it's yoga whether it's you know any other sort of workout is actually focusing on resting and restoring and allowing your body that dedicated time to yeah build up its reserves because it's as we've already mentioned doing so much work in in the womb that all of the that's your main job that's your most important job in that first trimester it's not about um deepening your back bend or you know working out and getting getting fitter and healthier or whatever fitter and stronger the focus and the priority is to rest yeah like in the first trimester the heart rate should not be taken over 150 beats per minute so an easy way to gauge that is you should be able to talk like I'm talking during any exercise that you do. If you're puffing, you need to slow down. That's the, you know, I worked with a trainer throughout my whole pregnancy and she talked like she was, you know, we were friends, our friends, and we talked. But I remember during my pregnancy, I said to her, you're talking to me a lot like you're actually engaging me in conversation during reps and things and she was like yeah because that's my gauge of whether or not you're elevating your heart rate mm -hmm. um too much for your pregnancy particularly in the first trimester if you elevate your heart rate over 150 your body will actually divert start to divert nutrients away from the placenta yeah so we really Which... want to make sure just gentle walking you know you don't no hit classes so nothing like that yeah people still do crossfit, so <laughs> crazy i remember world. though like because we were in like italy and greece during my first trimester and i would be so puffed out even going yeah. up a flight of stairs yeah and i was like this is ridiculous yeah. like i'm not 
I'm not heavily pregnant. No. I'm not even showing. I'm yeah. barely, you know. Yeah. Our body is already changing so much. It's just that it's not visible to us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I suppose, you know, that sort of segues into talking about, you know, how being pregnant changes our relationships, you know, to ourselves, to our partner, even potentially to the unborn child that is inside of us. Yeah, for sure. Well, I guess like off the back of movement practice, my yoga ended up really just being like a restorative and meditation practice. And I was kind of upset, I guess, initially of I couldn't even sit up for a meditation. Like I'd be Mm. sitting in the morning and just be feeling so sick that I would have to lie lie down and do it and I don't know for for whatever reason that was like kind of annoying to me (laughs) but um I think having some dedicated space in your day whether it's through a movement practice or meditation or you know even writing or whatever whatever you like to do just sitting quietly to preserve that relationship with yourself and to feel clear and present with all of the changes that are going on is really really key and I guess it's in this first trimester that we start to navigate the transition from going especially if it's your first pregnancy going from maiden the maiden archetype of you know the young fertile woman into the mother archetype and this first trimester is where that transition happens and if we can create some space in our day to begin to honor that and to almost in a way let go of the maiden and let her kind of die off in a way that can be really supportive for all of the other like physiological emotional hormonal changes that are happening as well um i think that's part of the reason why perinatal depression sometimes slides in as well is I've had loads of clients that have, again, just longed for for pregnancy and then in that first trimester they're challenged and they're almost scared. Or even just before, like at the moment I've got some women that are just starting the conception journey and they'll say, for one, for instance, it's starting to take Clomid and she's like, oh, I'm scared now. Like, what if we have sex and then I conceive, then it's real and there's no going back, you know? And so there's, there's a little bit of fear there. It's a fear of the unknown and it is a fear of there is a transition. There's no God willing and all things happening and a baby resulting at the end. And obviously we know that that doesn't happen for all pregnancies, but life will never be the same. And we all there's know no going that back. there's no going back. And it, it is a completely different experience, life experience once the baby comes. So, And I think because a lot of women are having babies that little bit later in life which again I don't think is necessarily problematic but it does mean that usually we've established a pretty strong identity around what it means to be a solo independent Independent. young woman you know usually we've carved out a a career or a work situation that feels like you know a representation of ourselves and that's how we identify and we've established ourselves in our like family relationships as an adult woman without child you know that Mm. that period of life has been stretched out to be a longer one whereas you know back in the day 
women that wouldn't would, be long. No, it wouldn't be long. Well, You'd back be in like the day, it was teenage. <laughs> yeah. Back in the day before sort of civilization, it was teenage years. So From you the menstrual could say bleed. it's like maybe there's more to let go of in a way. Yeah. In and, terms of your identity. And I think there's a sense of a loss of freedom. And there is a loss of freedom. Like there are legitimately things that you can't do anymore once you have a baby. You know, like firstly, you can't just like walk out of the house and go wherever you want to go. You literally can't. So I think you can intuitively, you can sense that that freedom is potentially going to be evasive. Mm -hmm. And I think that that feels confronting. Yeah. And honoring that transition from maiden to mother doesn't have to look any particular way and just like the conscious conception phrase it doesn't have to be a woo-woo thing it's really just sitting quietly and being present with whatever fears and anxieties and yeah. discomfort and all even of the... journaling mm, you know definitely just even, or like i did sat in therapy about mm-hmm. some of that stuff you know it doesn't have to be a ritual with your crystals around you like crying to the full moon you know like, <laughs> like amanda does <laughs> Um, And just to touch back on some of those self-care practices, I I wanted to say, you know, I think if you don't have like a daily self-care practice, and I suppose we could link to the rituals podcast episode here, I think the first trimester is a good time to start to implement some of those because your pregnancy is the last opportunity Mm -hmm. that you'll really have for quite a long time to really... And okay, beyond that self-care time that you will lose when you have the baby, in the second and definitely the third trimester, it's really helpful to start to meditate, learn some hypnobirthing, visualization, and all of those things will be infinitely easier if you have a, a meditation practice, a journal practice, a stillness practice that allows you to sit in that. Because if you're stepping into that at week 30, Um, and you don't have that self-care practice going on, it's just harder. So I think that's a good time to start to implement some of that time. Which is probably why so many people are gravitated towards yoga at that time. But let's talk for a second about the relationship between your partner and yourself during that first trimester. Because, I mean, if you you are with with the father of your child or with a partner in that first trimester it can be a pretty tricky one to navigate as well because again you're not showing it's quite hard for the dad to relate and to connect because you know they can't they can't um see or feel any presence of a baby and it's sort of just conceptual for them at that point i guess and in terms of intimacy i went from being you know like impregnate me (laughs) to do not touch me (laughs) and that as a guy I can imagine that would be pretty hard to deal with but also as a woman you're just like that is not my priority it's not where my energy Mm. is at I feel so sick terrible yeah and I was also quite again nervous about miscarrying and so there's I don't know if this is a, like a commonly known thing, but there's a hormone in or a, some kind of chemical compound in sperm that actually helps the cervix to dilate. And so it's 
yeah, I mean, in my mind, there was a level of risk of if we had ah. sex and and he ejaculated, then my cervix is going to dilate and the baby's going to fall out. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I mean, it's which not, is it's why having like sex that. like when you're due exactly. can actually help. That's um, exactly speed why up. it helps because yeah, it helps to dilate and it can also yeah that um, chemical can disrupt all of the other crazy processes that are going on in vitro during that as you, as we say like the very sensitive first trimester time mm. so i mean i don't think we even really had sex maybe maybe just a couple of times i mean we were intimate and i wanted to like keep that feeling of connection to my partner but i didn't there was no way that penetration was on my radar <laughs> i was like so, you know, intimacy was really important for me to continue cultivating that relationship and staying connected through that time. But it had to shift and it had to, it looked very different than, you know, things had looked even just a month prior. Mm. So that's also a big shift that happened in the relationship or did for me anyway. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, knowing that your body is changing and that, you know, it's sort of in the first trimester it's really about you it it's hard for your partner to be involved apart from a scan you know because they can't really see they can't really feel so just knowing that that is the dynamic and maybe being able to communicate that yeah you know and 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 knowing that it's a phase and that eventually they'll be able to touch your belly and feel movement and that's when things start to change again i think yeah um there's one other relationship that i want to talk about and it's in the first trimester that most women will develop if they don't already have a relationship with some sort of um primary care provider right um in view of the ultimate birth so in the first trimester usually you'll trot off to your gp to confirm the pregnancy if you've peed on a stick and to organize a scan because most people are having a scan and i i do want to touch on whether or not you should have a scan in a minute so we are and actually there's a few other things in terms of sensitivity that we haven't touched on that we might try and touch on yeah, so we are establishing a relationship with medical professionals and... Maybe. Maybe. But, you know, the thing is, this is really important and this I always have this conversation with my clients, usually upon conception, because this is an opportunity, even though the birth, we ask our clients not to think about the birth too much until about week 30 because we don't want to focus on the birth. You've got a baby to grow. But we do have to make a decision about the type of birth that we want to have in the early stages because if you've decided that you're going to go in a private hospital with an obstetrician and gynecologist, then you need to book them in usually quite early. And if you've decided to go with um, the birthing center here in WA or a birthing center wherever you might be, usually you also have to get into those quite early on in your pregnancy. And then if you've decided on a midwifery care program, likewise. So you really, you do have to spend some time either researching and educating yourself or ruminating over and thinking about what it is that you want to do because you'll need to engage those primary care providers in the first trimester. And the other thing is 
that at 12 weeks we're going to have our first scan for most people and it's at this point that there becomes a higher likelihood of intervention although maybe we want to sort of talk about yeah, that well a that's little bit true more. because you start I mean it's it's kind of a funny thing because you fall pregnant and then all of a sudden it's like what do we what do I actually have to do do I have to go to the doctor yeah like for me I don't I don't go to a, a general practitioner like I just that's not part of my that's not life <laughs> yeah that, that's not part of your suite of professionals no. yeah and so I was like okay I'm gonna go to this guy and he measured my height and took my weight and took my blood and it just felt really really irrelevant actually and he was like yep you're pregnant and I was like yep I know that and it felt totally ridiculous to me and but I could see even from that very first um appointment all of the different ways in which I was being very deliberately funneled into the medical model and I always say and I think this is like something that my mum has instilled in me like birth and pregnancy isn't a medical issue it's It's not not a medical problem it's not a health condition it's a natural human experience millions of women have done it since the beginning of time without any intervention without any intervention at all i know it's a we now funnel like everything to do with pregnancy is a health condition we like we have to check them we have to mollycoddle them they get sent off to the hospital when they want to deliver the baby it's like it's an illness yeah and it's and i want to just say like all of it is optional like you don't have to have a blood test you don't have to have a 12-week scan it's all optional and what's most important is that you're informed about your choice so i feel like this I mean, if you're not already, to start educating yourself on what all of your options are is really, really important. Because if you aren't educated on it and you're not informed about what your choices are, and by the way, you have to do that yourself. The responsibility is on you because if you go to the doctor, they're not going to give you choices. You're going to be provided one um, pathway and that will be more than likely an with lots of interventions yeah. um, kind of a cascade of interventions along the way and, and it we'll, might go from something small like you know oh you need a iron transfusion and by the way we're going to book you in for a colonoscopy because we think you've got something going on you know what do they say that oh yeah we think that you're celiac because you're not absorbing your iron blah 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 I mean this does not feel like prenatal care to me at all this is not my definition of prenatal care what women need is whole foods fresh air nature good quality water sleep sleep and a good you know home environment good relationship environment to feel safe and secure in that is prenatal care yeah totally and yeah it's definitely the time to do your research to think about what you want your birth to look like feel like talk to other mums that you know you know talk to a diverse range of people that have had different birth experiences and really find out what it was like for them and really think about what is right for you I think that's a really good sort of recommendation to make and I think like look beyond your immediate circle and immediate I mean Perth is I don't know if you know this stuff I'm sure you do but Perth is actually where we're both from the highest cesarean rate yeah in the world 
so sad. Which is just crazy. And you can see how quickly that can happen. And in other places like in Japan and in Europe, a cesarean isn't offered as a option. That yeah. is an emergency only and as situation. As it should be. Um, and obviously we're going to talk about this more in the birthing episode and probably in the last trimester episode because that's when it's it really becomes time to soup like prepare and i would say that usually most women in the first trimester are pretty interested in and open to a natural birth and it's really only when they're in labor that that starts to change actually and that's perfect for intervention but just as we swing into shortfalls i want to talk about something else that happens in the first trimester that I think is a problem and it is that we start to look at the date or the Mm. due date of the baby and so the way that conventional medicine decrees that your due date or the way that they calculate your due date is they take the first day of your last period and then they add 40 40 or 42 weeks to that so 40 weeks to that so basically you are two weeks more pregnant than you actually are based on that calculation because potentially or more depending on when you actually ovulate so hypothetically if you ovulate on day 14 and obviously we know that not everybody does then you're already 14 weeks over or under so to speak so what 14 days for sorry 14 days so what that actually means is that when you get to 40 weeks and they're starting to say we, we might have to TikTok. induce you, TikTok clock's ticking, you're actually only 38 weeks. But it's, And the global um, average for pregnancy is actually 41 weeks. So including countries where there are zero interventions because of you know other, other issues like in Africa and South America and lots of Asia, the, yeah, the global average is for for women to carry until 41 weeks and it is it is weird you know when you first find out that you're pregnant suddenly you're already four weeks pregnant yeah you're four weeks pregnant so instead of being two weeks pregnant you're actually four so So let's break that down just a tiny bit so you conceive when you ovulate basically egg meets sperm but then it's not until like five to seven days later that the you implant yeah what do you call it that stage the embryo implants into the uterine lining then it continues to form cell by cell miracle by miracle and it's not even it's not even a fetus at that stage and that's usually the point maybe you know by that two week mark that you might pee on the stick when you've missed your period and yet at that point you're already you're already four, four weeks. weeks so it's all a bit confusing and there's there's the reason for that which is because the medical model has kind of skewed this timing of things and so the due date is a total this arbitrary <laughs> number that gets put on you that everyone asks you what's your due date what's your, and i'm like I kind of feel like it's like it could be in the month of you yeah. know this time frame but and being so fixated on this date. date and then that that has problems in and of itself as well because then 
you know, you're waiting around that date and then if you go over, everybody gets anxious about that. So, so yeah, I suppose that's a shortfall in terms of the first trimester is that they're going to put a probably, unless they do a dating scan, they're going to give you a date that is two weeks more than it should be in terms of a due date, which will allow for intervention. Any other shortfalls or should we roll into recommendations? What is your recommendation? My recommendation is a beautiful book that I read first, like way, way, way before I was even thinking about being pregnant. It was part of a prenatal yoga teacher training that I did when I was like 20. (laughs) And just like the youngest person in the room, everyone going, what are you doing here? You're you're a child. it's called Beautiful, Bountiful, Blissful, and it's by Gauramukh, which is a you know quite a famous, beautiful uh, Kundalini yoga teacher. But in there is lots of different information and also like just beautiful inspiration and reflections about pregnancy and meditations and stuff. So I'll link it in the show notes. And my recommendation is something I recommended in the fertility episode one, but it's also comes into its own throughout your pregnancy. And I think we didn't even really get to touch on sort of the sensitivity to radiation and external forces (laughs) in the first trimester. So it's really, it's a good resource for, you know, what you should and shouldn't be doing in the first trimester in terms of scans and travel and all sorts of things. I was Um, wearing EMF blocking clothes. Yes, I remember. I remember. So it's called The Nourishing Traditions Book of Baby and Child Care by Sally Fallon. And then this one is sort of your recommendation. It's just an app that's called Ovia. So it's just um, an app that sort of tracks the size of the baby and tells you what's happening. And it's just nice to have something as a, a reference to see what is actually happening developmentally every single week of the pregnancy. And then one more thing, um, <laughs> I wrote a, a blog post for every trimester of my pregnancy. So the first trimester blog post is all about all of my crazy cravings and all of the different foods that I ate. So I actually catalogued all of the healthy swaps that I did for like the Fanta craving, the sausage roll craving, the pizza craving, the peanut butter <laughs> craving, all of it. And so... Um, it's really helpful for anyone that is in that first trimester and is just like, what the mm. hell, I want to eat all the Krispy Kremes, but I don't want to do that to my body. So I've got all these healthy swaps. And I think that that is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Elevate. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed recording it. For any further updates with me, you can come along and follow me at Instagram. I'm at at Shopkins Health. And if you'd like to stay tuned with me throughout the week, I'm at yoga underscore alchemy on Instagram. And what we would love right now is if you can hit subscribe, leave us some stars, leave us a few words, any questions or feedback we love to read. So keep it coming and have an amazing day.